Well, good morning. It is good to be back after whatever it is I had that had me under the weather. I was uh, telling Jill, I said, I cannot remember a time in uh, over 35 years of ministry that I missed three Sundays of one month due to illness. So I don't know what that means. Uh, I hope it's nothing bad, uh, but it's good to be here. I'm also mindful as we go to prayer this morning that not only I think is it our anniversary uh, at, here at Maranatha, 12 years, but I, I seem to remember, I think, was it the first Sunday of February where we had this big snowstorm last year and uh, Pastors Paul, Eric, and myself were installed. I seem to remember everybody being hurried out the door at the end of that wonderful service. So it's a year of uh, having three new pastors on the team as well. So lots to celebrate. As we go to prayer this morning, we'll pray for uh, those things, and then uh, let's keep in prayer for Pastor John, who is preaching this morning at uh, Christ Our Hope Church, and uh, he will uh, be here for our uh, members meeting uh, later this afternoon. So let's, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you uh, for celebrations. We thank you for occasions that remind us of your faithfulness to us, and for 12 years Father, you have blessed the ministry of Maranatha Grace Church. From its founding as Maranatha Grace Fort Lee to now Maranatha Grace, we, we continue to pray, Father, for your faithfulness to help us to um, continue to broaden our ministry, not only in encouraging one another to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but Father, also to give us a heart to share the gospel with our neighbors, our co-workers, our family, that they may also know uh, the amazing grace, the liberty and the freedom that comes from having our sins forgiven and God as our Father, Christ as Savior, and your Holy Spirit as the one who breathes into us that very word of life. We also uh, thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity to serve, and we pray for Pastor John as he preaches this morning. May the anointing of your spirit rest upon him as he brings the word to the, the good people of Christ, our hope. We pray for their pastor, Johnny Dos Santos, and pray that you would continue to encourage him in his ministry there, as well as for the mission and ministry of Christ, our hope as well. We give you thanks, Lord God, for health, and we pray for continued health of all of our members, those who may be suffering from COVID or other ailments and illnesses. May you restore them uh, to health soon and quickly. And may you deliver our nation as well, Lord God, uh, as we seem to be wondering when this pandemic uh, will end. And we pray that it would uh, end soon and we can begin to to breathe uh, a little more easily, um, Father, to be less concerned about the, the things that have come upon us as a result of the pandemic, that's whatever normal would look like, Father, we pray by your grace we could return to it and then grow beyond it uh, by way of, of just confidence and hope and trust in you. Father, I thank you as well for the prayers and encouragement of everyone uh, here at Manatha during a time I wasn't feeling well. It was, in, it was a blessing to receive uh, such words of encouragement and I pray that we would make that a practice as well, that we would encourage one another and pray for one another. Uh, we pray for our members meeting, Father, that it would go well. Uh, we pray for those who have been nominated to serve as deacons, that 
uh, thanks to their willingness to serve, to be trained, to be assessed, uh, that ministry, Lord God, can not only be improved, but continue to be one that is a source of blessing, strength, and unity for us here at Maranatha. And also, I, I, we thank you, Father, for a strong pastoral team. And we give you thanks for the, the unity of uh, the pastoral team as well, and, and for the encouragement that we have received from uh, the members here to, to work hard, to be diligent in the way that we lead, uh, Father, and for the response that we have received as we lead. And so we continue to pray that we would work together, as Paul says, uh, through the, the, the unity of your Holy Spirit in the bond of peace to further the proclamation of your word here in Fort Lee, in Englewood Cliffs and beyond. Uh, we give you thanks for these things and pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. I had intended to resume the study on uh, Zechariah, and we will do that next Sunday. Uh, I really wanted to preach this uh, last sermon in the short series on Resolve from Philippians, and so we're returning to that for one more Sunday. And uh, for that, I'm going to read to you from uh, Philippians chapter 1, uh, verses 19 to 21, and then uh, verses 27 to 30. And Paul writes, and then just some background too, you may be aware that uh, Philippians is referred to as one of the prison epistles Paul wrote Philippians while he was in a Roman uh, jail cell. And so the, the basis for what he says here comes out of that experience as well. So he writes in, uh, in verse 19, <clears throat> Uh, for I know that your, uh, through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That is, the prayers that the Philippians have been offering for his deliverance. Uh, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored uh, in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me... To live is Christ, and to die is gain. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I... We spent some time just talking about what it means to live fearlessly, and it, I, I don't know what your experience has been when uh, challenges, trials, difficulties enter your life or you face them. Uh, it's been my experience that when those kinds of things, uh, when I encounter them, I usually have one of two responses. I usually respond uh, either in fear or in faith. And I think that those are the two choices we have whenever we face a particular difficulty. How do we respond? Do we respond with fear, out of fear, or do we respond with faith? And in sort of doing research uh, for the sermon, I came across this historical anecdote. On January 15th of 1933, Germany, the nation of Germany, was adrift in an ocean of social, political, and economic anxiety. The devastation that was caused by losing World War I uh, some years before haunted the national consciousness. The stock market crash of 1929 shredded uh, an increasingly fragile German economy. 
Unemployment rose to 6 million, and the embattled Weimar Republic, which lacked strong leadership, struggled to maintain political and social and economic stability of the nation. Fears of communism and other forms of political extremism rumbled throughout the nation like thunder before the deluge. And as circumstances worsened, worsened many Germans, including Christian, uh, German Christians, feared that the ship of state would be sunk by the vortex of a social, political, and an economic whirlpool. And that same day, Sunday, January 15, 1933, a Lutheran pastor stepped into the pulpit of his church and he preached a sermon entitled Overcoming Fear. He began his message with a haunting allegory. Let's say, he began, that there is a ship on the high sea, having a fierce struggle with the waves. The storm wind is blowing harder by the minute. The boat is small, tossed about like a toy. The sky is dark. The sailor's strength is failing. Then one of them is gripped by something. By what? He cannot tell. But someone is there in the boat who wasn't there before. Suddenly, he can no longer see or hear, can no longer row. A wave overwhelms him, and in final desperation, the sailor shrieks out, Stranger in the boat, who are you? And the other answers, I am fear. All hope is lost. Fear is in the boat. The pastor continued, Fear is in the boat, Germany, he said. It's in our lives. It's in the nave of this church. Naked fear of an hour from now, of tomorrow and the day after. Fear, he said, hollows out our insides until our resistance and strength are spent and we suddenly break down. Fear secretly gnaws and eats away at all the ties that bind a person to God and to one another. And when in a time of need that person reaches for those ties and clings to them, they break and the individual sinks back into himself or herself, helpless and despairing. Fear, he said, takes away a person's humanity. This is not what the creature made by God looks like. It should be no surprise that that pastor was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And although the current social, political, and economic turbulence rippling through our nation may not be the same as that which rippled through the nation of Germany in 1933. It's been very obvious to anyone who's been paying attention to the news for the last two years, fear is in the boat. Whether it's fear of COVID-19 or its variants, fear of government overreach, fear of inflation, an unstable economy, rise in anti-Semitic and anti-Asian violence, as well as a rise in violent crime overall, whether it's uncontrolled immigration, what may happen in the Ukraine, our nation is a small boat adrift in an ocean of fear. And fear is in the boat. It's in our lives. It may even be in our church. That's the bad news. Here's the good news. If you believe in Christ, you know someone greater than fear. A few years ago, I came across a quote from Paul Tripp. 
And it has stayed with me since then, and I think of it every time I encounter a situation which prompts me to become afraid. Tripp says this, Today you will face two realities. You will encounter fear greater than your faith, and you will receive grace greater than your fear. Every time we encounter a, a fear that is greater than our faith, here is a promise that God makes us, that he will give us grace that is greater than our fear. This grace comes to us through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, and it is inspired by an unwavering trust in God's ability to see us through. For those who trust in Christ, we know someone who is greater than fear. And I believe that sense of assurance is what motivated Paul to write what he wrote in Philippians 1, 19-21 and 27-28. I'll read them again. Remember, this is a man in prison. This is a man who is facing the full might of the Roman government. There was no political action committee. There was no GoFundMe campaign. There was no Twitter. There was nothing he could do or the Christians at that time could do to petition or protest his treatment, his unfair and unjust treatment by the Roman government. And yet Paul relied on something better and more greater than those things, which was indeed the power of God and the power of the prayers of God's people. For I know, he says, that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to you or see you and, or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in the one spirit and one mind, side by side, striving for the gospel, faith of the gospel, not frightened by anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign, he says. This is the end of verse 28. A clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. When fear entered his life, when fear stood... In, that, in the dark corner of his prison cell, when it entered every time a change of guard would take place, <clears throat> Paul rested his internal destiny on someone greater than his fear. It's why I believe he lived with such resolve. It's why I believe he lived so fearlessly. It's why he could write what he does at verse 21, for me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Anytime fear invades our life, we have the power to defeat it by trusting in someone who's greater than our fear. When fear tries, and it will try, and maybe succeed at times, to intimidate us into paralysis, God can help us press on, straining forward, forgetting what lies behind, so that we may press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And I believe that then leads us to the following resolution, that we can live fearlessly by trusting God to give us grace greater than our fear. Grace greater than our fear, from what Paul says here, leads us to treasure Jesus Christ above life itself. The reason why we fear things is because we fear the loss of something. 
The reason why fear has such power over us at times is because it creates in us this sense that we will lose something. Paul turns that whole thing on its head when he says, no, no, no. To live and to overcome fear is Christ. To die, even by the hand of that which I am afraid of, well, that's gain. I've lost nothing. But I have gained everything through trust in Christ. So if, if God answers Paul's prayer, as we read in verses 19 to 21, if, if God answers the Philippians' prayer for Paul's deliverance, he fully expects to resume his ministry. However, if God chooses not to answer the Philippians' prayer, and Paul is executed, he doesn't fear death, nor will he be ashamed by that non-answer, because he will not think that God has failed him, because he knows that Christ has defeated death. His death may mean loss to the Philippians, but for Paul it means great gain because he gets to be in the presence of Christ, as he is now already, as are we. That's the other thing that fear impresses upon us, that somehow our fear can convince us we are separated from God or God has separated himself from us. Paul says this is not the case at all. That the very fear that Satan would seek to overwhelm and overwhelm you with and drive you away from God is the very same fear that God uses in his great sovereignty to draw us closer to himself. That we would fear God more than death. That we would fear God more than fear. Paul feared God more than death because he understood Jesus to be as he has claimed himself to be, I am the resurrection and the life. That as the resurrection, Jesus removes the sting of death forever. And as the life, Paul can say with every confidence, to live is Christ, to die is gain. He, he explains this even further in his second letter to the Corinthians, which Randy alluded to. That to be away from the body is to be at home with the Lord. And so Paul says, whether I live or whether I die, I am always going to be in the presence of God. Paul doesn't have a death wish here. He's not tired of life either. He's not in a position where he says, I just want this whole thing to be over with. I'm so tired of living. I'm so That's not his attitude. On the contrary, he speaks and he writes and he prays like a man who is absolutely certain of his calling in life and of his eternal destiny. Now, if you believe in Jesus, that certainty, that assurance is ours through Christ. If you, if you don't know Christ and think, well, you know, life is just life and then when you die, it's all over. I would ask you this. <clears throat> as I heard another preacher refer to it, then if that's true, think of all of the things that you love. Think of all of the people that you love. Think of all of the activities, all of the things that bring you enrichment and joy now. When you die, they're gone if you don't believe in Jesus. You've lost everything. Paul says, all of that stuff that seems that brings me joy now will fade compared to the joy of being forever in the presence of Christ. So when fear entered his life, when fear stood in that 
prison cell, when it's whispered to him in the dark, in the wee hours of the morning, Paul trusted in someone greater than his fear. That's why he's able to say, I believe later on in Philippians 3, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Fear can produce in us a sense of regret. Decisions made, bad decisions. And fear can also then make us forget the promises of God. It can make us forget the strength that we have, the things that we have learned and been taught by God. Fear can cause us to doubt the very character of God. And Satan, as I said, will try to use fear to drive us away from God. But because God is greater than our fear, that fear that Satan would use as a wedge actually becomes a magnet that draws us to the cross. Fear can make us forget But the Spirit is there to remind us. When Christ prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane and fear whispered in his heart, and he sweat drops of blood, Christ overcame his fear by submitting to the will of his Father, by remembering why he was there and what was his mission. I remember some years ago going with my brother visiting... um, I think at the time he was doing a residency at the Bridgeport Hospital and he was working in the ER. He had worked in the ER the night before and so he took me with him to introduce me to some of his, uh, his co-workers there in, in the ER. And while he was there, he asked about the, the condition of a, of, a, of a man that had come in the, the other the night before uh, with a, a stabbing victim, several stab wounds. And my brother had repaired him and, and you know, sent away and the man was stable. And I remember just being in awe of that and asking my brother, I said, what do you, like, what do, you do when you know, you know, a man comes in, he's stabbed, he's bleeding? How do, you, how do you keep your composure? And my brother you know, said, well, you know, you could, as I said at the start of the sermon, you could fear or faith. Anthony said, I could just, I could stand there and say, oh my gosh, this guy is bleeding, somebody got help him. And then I remember, I'm a doctor, I'm trained to do this. This is why I'm here. I'm here to use my knowledge to heal this person. And I think fear can do that. Fear can make us forget that we have the power of the Spirit through prayer and reliance upon the Word, through reliance upon our brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. When faith would say, hey, wait, wait, this is a scary thing. Yes, this is an illness. This is a loss of job. This is a loss of relationship. This is a painful moment. But you have access to grace, to peace, to prayer, to a power to a courage, to a strength that comes not from within, not from looking inside yourself, because that strength is going to fail. But if you look outside to the one who gives all strength, to the one who gives all grace, and then has imparted that grace to others who can rally around you and pray with you and support you and walk with you through that, they can't take that pain from you. They can't experience that pain for you, but they can carry you through it. Like the the fellow on the mat that is lowered through the roof and Jesus heals. We cannot get ourselves off that mat, but we will need others who can carry that mat for us while we are on it. Fear can be overcome because we know someone who is greater than fear. The other morning, uh, I was writing it in in my journal, and uh, I've been thinking about this passage, and I wrote down two questions. What are you afraid of? Or if you're 
a, a grammar nerd like me, you then corrected it to say, of what are you afraid? Of what are you afraid? And what is the thing you fear most? Of what are you afraid? And what is the thing you fear most? Years ago, a mentor encouraged me to overcome and confront my fears by doing a very simple thing. Confessing them out loud to God and to someone else. When you confess your fear, he said, you bring it into the light. And once you bring it into the light, it can melt away like the morning dew. One thing Satan will do when we are afraid is to convince us no one else has ever been this fearful. No one else has ever experienced this kind of fear. And how dare you express this to God or to someone else because they will think you're weak, they will think you're not a Christian, they will think you're doubtful. And so all of those, that fear spins off a web of lies. When you can finally just say, I'm afraid of losing this relationship. I'm afraid of losing this job. I'm afraid of never having enough money. I'm afraid of never having the respect of my mother or my father. I'm afraid of losing the respect of my friends. You can say those things out loud to someone else. You bring it into the light. And you expose it to the sunshine of God's truth. And it withers. That sounds easy. It is not. Because our pride will get in the way. In fact, according to Paul Tripp, again, quoting from uh, an entry from his uh, devotional New Morning Mercies, he says, One of the dirty secrets of the Church of Jesus Christ is that many of the things we do are done out of fear and not faith. Fear happens when I look at myself, assess my resources, and conclude I don't have what it takes to do what God is calling me to do or to face what I have to face. Fear, he writes, fear in a believer is a function of forgetfulness. To the degree you forget who God is, who you are as his child, and what you have been given by his grace, fear is your default emotion. And one thing I have learned, having made mistakes and decisions motivated by fear, any decision that you make that is motivated or driven by fear is going to be a bad decision. Some of us are afraid of failure. We're afraid of failing at our job, losing our job. We're afraid of failing to get that promotion, failing to make the team, or failing in school. I can remember being afraid of being a bad parent. And if I'm honest, I still am. Some of us are afraid of disappointing our parents or bringing dishonor to the family. Some of us are afraid of getting COVID or, worse yet, infecting someone else with COVID. Some of us are afraid we'll never be married or if we get married, we'll never have children. 
We're afraid perhaps we'll never get out of debt or we'll run out of money. We're afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of being alone. <laughs> some of us may even be, still be afraid of the dark. Now, some fear is healthy. You're driving or you're walking near the edge of a cliff. Fear says, I better lean more away from there. That's a good, healthy fear, but a lot of times fear is unhealthy. As I said, Satan knows what we're afraid of, and he will use fear to home in on our weakness and our vulnerabilities. And he knows that fear can make us feel physically powerless, emotionally weak, and spiritually fragile. Faith, on the other hand, faith fills us with courage to confess our fear, uh, to bring it into the light. It encourages us, as, as our song did before the throne of God above, faith encourages us to look at Jesus and to see him there who made an end of all our sin. Because some of us are even afraid that at the very end of our lives, God will turn his back on us. But if Christ is your life, if he is the one that you have put your trust in to forgive your sins and have taken your punishment, you have been spared and you will be spared the judgment of God because he has borne it for us. Faith injects us with the courage and the grace to overcome fear. Faith gives me, and here's the other thing too. This is based on what Paul says in one of his letters to the Corinthians. Faith gives you and I the freedom to boast in our weakness. Because as Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians, it's when I am weak, I am strong. Because it's when I am weak that I realize my only strength comes not from within, but it comes from without. It comes from the one who strengthens me. It's why he can say at the end of Philippians, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So I can learn to be content in any situation because Christ gives me the strength to be content. To stare down my fear because I'm trusting in the one who is greater than fear. Faith says I can do all things through Christ because the strength, the power, and the courage are his. So when fear stalks your soul with the predatory instinct of a skilled archer, faith says, I am your shield. When faith, or when fear rather, attacks your trust in and love for God, faith inspires you to trust the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. When fear tempts me to despair, and to doubt God, and to play the game. We all play the game of what if, or if only. Faith smiles and says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4. When fear fills my mind with all the things that could go wrong, faith reminds me to think about whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. 
if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Every time I face fear greater than my faith, God gives me a grace that's greater than my fear. So when the fear invades your life, and you're tempted to panic, you're tempted to doubt, you're tempted to despair, tempted even to forget that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death, remember that he is the way, the truth, and the life to life beyond this life. Remember, too, that he has given us himself, the Holy Spirit, and his church to help us work through and overcome that fear. And so a grace that is greater than our fear teaches us to treasure Christ above even our very life. Grace greater than our fear also then means there is safety in numbers. That's what Paul means when he says in verses 27 and 28, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear about your situation, that you are standing firm in the one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. Anyways, uh, New, the New Testament scholar uh, N.T. Wright, who described the church as, a, as an outpost or a colony of heaven here on earth. And I think that's why Paul writes what he does here, because he's more concerned about the Philippians living as true citizens of their true homeland than he is about good citizens of Rome. But by the same token, if good fences make good neighbors, then good Christians also make good citizens, especially good Christians who are living lives worthy of the gospel of Christ. That enables us to stand united because we may face a fear individually, But the reason why we are collectively called to worship Christ together is so that we may hold one another up and not be separated by fear. Because certainly one of Satan's strategies is to use fear to divide and conquer, to melt and dissolve away our unity. And Paul encourages the Philippians to maintain their unity in the face of opposition. He knows that fear is contagious. That in the face of fear, the Philippians' motto must be, united we stand, divided we fall. Fear is contagious. I remember watching, some of you may have watched the the, uh, historical uh, drama, the presentation, Band of Brothers. And there's, it's about the uh, uh, company of soldiers during World War II, and it, it follows them from training camp as paratroopers, right through to the end of the war. And there's one section of episodes that takes place in the woods of Bastogne in late December 1944, when the, uh, the GIs were overwhelmed by a surprise attack by the Germans, and they made a stand in the, the forest of Bastogne in the Ardennes. And there was a scene in which one of the soldiers had been on the line for several days, being bombarded and shelled by artillery and gunfire, And there's one uh, particular platoon leader named Carwood Lipton was going around encouraging his men to, you know, stay in their foxholes and to keep cover. And he happened to notice that there was one GI out of his foxhole, no helmet, no gloves, and he was digging furiously at the frozen ground 
until he had no fingernails left and his hands were bloody. And Lipton, as he's doing the voiceover, says, I knew that fear was contagious, that any soldier demonstrating fear, that would spread throughout the entire company. And so he made sure quickly to take that soldier and pull him off the line so he could rest and be away from his comrades. Meanwhile, encouraging his soldiers to maintain their courage and to maintain their faithfulness. Fear is contagious. But if fear is contagious, then so is faith that is created by the gospel. Faith in one can encourage faith in another. So that when we watch a brother or a sister confront an illness, a job loss, a relationship that's broken, or any other kind of crisis, and we see that brother or sister standing firm, still affected by what's going on, and yet still trusting in Christ, that becomes contagious. And that encourages a unity for us to come around and rally around them and to uphold them and support them. Another one of my favorite illustrations just to borrow from nature. I remember seeing this years ago in a National Geographic. It was, uh, it was about life in the Arctic tundra. And they showed you a herd of musk ox. These the musk ox are these big shaggy beasts that roam the tundra. And this one particular herd of mus musk ox were being stalked by wolves. And as the wolves approached the herd, suddenly the herd, the older members of the herd became aware of this and quickly formed a, an impregnable circle. And in the middle of the herd were the older muskox, calves, and some of the nursing mothers. And they formed this impregnable circle, lowering their heads. And every time the wolves would try to break ranks or attack, they would just simply lower their horns and stand their ground. That's the image that Paul is conveying here. In verse 27, that we stand firm, united by the Holy Spirit, having one mind to protect one another by holding on to the faith of the gospel. And the scholars tell us there are two ways that you can interpret verse 27, where Paul says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel. So whether I come to you or I'm absent, I may hear of your situation. You are standing firm in the one spirit with one mind, standing side by side. One way to interpret it is to see Paul is encouraging the Philippians to stand united with having a sort of common community spirit. The other interpretation has Paul encouraging them by grounding their unity in the fellowship that they have in the Holy Spirit. And I think that's the better option. Because the Holy Spirit is the source of our unity as a church. It's the Spirit who helps us live lives worthy of the gospel. It's the Spirit who gives us insight into the mind of Christ, who strengthens us with the courage of Christ to overcome our fear. It's why we encourage participation on Sunday morning. It's why we encourage, even in the midst of a pandemic, to come in public and gather together in person on Sundays to worship. It's why we encourage fellowship through participation in community groups. It's why we encourage praying for one another. Because in addition to being the source of our unity, the Holy Spirit enables us to have the same attitude toward one another as Jesus had. And armed with that same attitude, the same attitude that Jesus had, that is, we can stand firm, we can stand united, we can strive side by side for the faith of the gospel. 
the faith that is created by the gospel. And that faith that is created by the gospel will lead to a sense of awe. A sense of awe. Lastly, just one more quote from Paul Tripp. Because he says, the only solution to fear is fear. In other words, fear is defeated only by a bigger, greater fear. That when the fear of God overwhelms and controls your heart, it protects you from the paralyzing and debilitating fear of other things. It's only when God looms hugely larger than anything you could ever face in this fallen world that your heart is able to experience peace even when you don't understand what is happening and you don't have the power to solve it if you did. How do you get that sense of awe? I know we can get a sense of awe over the, the power of nature, so to speak. You go to the Grand Canyon or you go to Niagara Falls or you just stand down by the Englewood Boat Basin and you look up at the Palisades and it's, it's just these amazing natural sights. But how do you get the sense of God, a sense of awe of God? Worship, prayer, spend time reading his word, spend time reading the Psalms, read about the, the great heroes of the faith and see that their strength, their power, their courage came not from within, but it came from outside through the help of God, through the power of the Spirit. Spend time just staring into the glory of God until you see it. I think that's what Andrew Matheson was encouraging us to do when he was here, when he preached from Revelation 1. Read Revelation 1 and see there in John's description of the risen Christ, hair white like wool, eyes blazing fire, feet like burnished bronze. Go to the Mount of Transfiguration with Peter, James, and John and see Christ transfigured before him, his clothing whiter than any fuller could bleach them, standing beside him, Moses and Elijah, and be like Peter and say, let's build three tabernacles and not know what you're saying because you're so overcome by the glory of God. Or if that's not enough, some of you are parents and you have infant children, look at that child and say, that's an amazing work of God's creation. Or just look at yourself in the mirror and say, my wife married this. She did. And she married you. And he married you. And God saved someone like me. Go through the list of your weaknesses. Go through the, the list of your failures. Like Luther when he was confronted by Satan. And Satan threw up all of this list of sins. And at the end of it, in his vision, Luther says to Satan, yeah, write down a few more. Here's some that you missed. And underneath them all, write, forgiven by the blood of Christ. So write down your failures. Confess them. And then underneath them, write, forgiven. Made right forever by the blood of Christ. Be more fearful of he who holds the power of life and death than any accusation, any fear Satan can lodge against you. So that to return to Bonhoeffer's analogy, when fear climbs into the boat, introduce him to Jesus and tell him to jump overboard. 
Because today you will face two realities. You will face fear that is greater than your faith. And the good news is you will receive grace that is greater than your fear. So let us resolve to live fearlessly by trusting God to give us grace that is greater than our fear. You think about that. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, if we're honest, we are not nearly as courageous, uh, as courageous as we fancy ourselves to be. And that's all right. Because in that moment, when we sense that we have not the power to overcome our fear, nor the wisdom to solve the particular problem we are in, your word, your character is such that you will give us grace, strength, courage, and wisdom greater than our fear. And so we pray, Lord God, in the time in which we live, that we would be people of courage, that we would be bold, that we would, as Paul encouraged us, forget what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. May we, with your help, press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus for your glory, for the glory of Christ, and to the glory of the Holy Spirit. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.